book of Jeremiah, the 31st chapter, as we continue in a sermon series from this book. Tonight we're looking at Jeremiah chapter 31. In just a moment we're going to read verse 3 and then jump a few verses to verse 31 and following. Jeremiah chapter 31. Jeremiah 31 is next to Jeremiah 30 if you're looking for it. When you found it, look up here at me. Israel, the nation of Israel, was the apple of God's eye. That's not my opinion, that's Scripture. And the Hebrew people who made up the nation of Israel were God's chosen people. They were His elect. But something happened to the nation of Israel. Something happened to the Hebrew people. It didn't happen all at once, but it happened. And it became progressively worse with the passing of time. The nation and the people became indifferent to God. And from that indifference came injustice. They corrupted the religious law and they corrupted the social law. And from that injustice came immorality. Sexual perversions of everything imaginable and unimaginable. And from that immorality came idolatry. The worship of other gods. The worship of self. God sent prophets to His nation. God sent prophets who spoke to the leadership of Israel and told them to come back to God. God sent prophets to the people who called on the people to confess their sin and repent of their sin and return to righteousness. And what did the nation do to these prophets? What did the people do to these prophets? They beat them. They imprisoned them. And they murdered them. That was the nation's response to God. That was the people's response to God. Do away with His prophets. The book of Jeremiah is about a prophet whose name was Jeremiah. God did not call him to the nation to tell them to repent. God did not call him to go to the people and tell them to turn back to God. God sent him to tell the nation and people, judgment is on the way. You've crossed the line. There will be no grace and no more mercy. I am sending a mighty empire against you. The Babylonians are coming. And when they come, they will take no prisoners. They will show no mercy. They will give no quarter. They will slaughter your men they will take your women, they will take your children, and they will take them to be slaves in their land. They will burn your houses to the ground, they'll ransack your temple, and they'll destroy your capital. Nothing will stop them. 
That's what Jeremiah was told to go tell the leadership and the people of Israel. Not a message of repentance, a message of judgment. Now I want you to understand, as we've talked about in the past, I'll restate it. Jeremiah was the least likely man that you would choose to do such a thing. He was a quiet man. He was a shy man. He was an unassuming man. He was a B-personality fellow. He was perfectly comfortable standing in the background, standing in the shadows. He wasn't a front guy. He was perfectly fine being Clark Kent. (laughs) But God called him to be Superman. And he obeyed God. I don't know if he liked the message that he was told to take. I don't know if he liked being in that preeminent, prominent position. But he said, Lord, you have called and I have heard and I will go. And that's exactly what he did. As we enter Jeremiah 31, his message is going to slightly change, as we're going to see. Interesting. Jeremiah 31, beginning with verse 3. The Lord has appeared of old unto me and has told me to tell you, Yes, I have loved you, Israel, and the Hebrew people, with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I will once again draw you to myself. Verse 31. Behold, the day shall come, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah not according to the covenant that I made with the fathers in the day that I took them by hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they have broken, although I was a husband unto them, saith the Lord. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and write write it in their hearts and will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor, and every man his brother. No longer will they say, Know the Lord, for they all shall know me. For the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin. No more. Before we get into the message, let me tell you some jokes. (laughs) Some preacher jokes. we got some preachers in our church, and thank God for every one of them. Good men. Glad to have them here. Here's some preacher jokes. Good news and bad news jokes. The good news was this particular preacher baptized four in the ocean. The bad news was two of them got lost in the rip currents. And another one got eaten by a great white shark. The good news was for this particular preacher was that attendance in his church rose dramatically over a three-week period. The bad news was he wasn't there. (laughs) 
The good news for this preacher was he got a get well card from his people when he was sick. The bad news was it had to go through a business meeting. And the vote was 89 to 88 to send the card. (laughs) The good news was this preacher got a pay raise. The bad news was it was part of his severance package. (laughs) Now, why did I tell you those jokes? Because the good news and the bad news is really a capsulization of Jeremiah's message. Up until chapter 31 that we just are entering into, Jeremiah's message to his people has been bad news. The Babylonians are coming. You better batten down the hatches and you better get ready because a storm is coming and the storm is the Babylonians. And they're going to march into this land and they're going to take everything they can get their hands on. They're going to pull up everything that's not nailed down. And they're going to pull up everything that is nailed down and take it too. And they're not coming to take prisoners. They're coming to slaughter. They're not coming to allow you to stay here. They're going to haul you off. They're not coming to allow you to be a free people. They're going to make you their servants. They're not coming to bring you prosperity. They're going to take every single thing you've got. And that's been Jeremiah's message. That's been Jeremiah's message of violence and destruction. And he has to tell it everywhere he goes. And the people don't like it. They have beaten Jeremiah. They have bruised Jeremiah. They have battered Jeremiah. They have bloodied Jeremiah. They've tossed him into the pit. They've cursed him for everything he's worth. No wonder he was called the weeping prophet because of the message he had to preach and the way that he was treated. But now in chapter 31, the bad news is about to have some good news tied to it. No, God isn't going to call off the Babylonians. They're going to come. No, God's not going to spare them from the slaughter. God's not going to spare them from the imprisonment. God's not going to spare them for what they have done. They are going to face the music. If you're going to dance to the piper's music, you've got to pay him one day. And make sure you want to pay His price. But nevertheless, God has a good word for His people. In chapter 31, God is announcing to His people, through His prophet, that after 70 years, they will come back to their homeland. After 70 years, God in loving kindness will rebuild their nation and rebuild the people. He'll restore the capital. He will reestablish the temple. He will honor His people once more, if they will but honor Him. And then He talks about something else that He's going to do for His people. That'll be a little bit later. Not 70 years, but a little bit later down the line. He talks about bringing to them, as we read in verse 31 and 32 and following, a new covenant. 
God is going to take away the old covenant. And He's going to replace it with the new covenant. The old covenant was good. God is going to replace it with something that's better. The word covenant really means a contract, an agreement, if you will. God is going to make a new agreement with His people. He's going to tear up the old agreement, and He's going to sign on the dotted line with them a new agreement, a new covenant. It's kind of like if you have a house mortgage at 8%, and you have an opportunity to refinance your 8% loan at 4%. 8% might have been good when you did it, but 4% is a whole lot better, amen? And so you go to the bank, and you refinance, and you re-sign papers. The 8% mortgage is paid off and tore up, and you sign a new one at 4%. Well, essentially, that's what Jeremiah says God is going to do to the nation of Israel. And God's going to do to the Hebrew people. He's going to take the old covenant and tear it up. And He's going to present to them a brand new covenant. Now, what makes this new covenant that's spoken of better than the old covenant? Because it was better. What's the difference, you might say? Well, let's look at some of the differences. Difference number one. The new covenant that God is going to establish with His nation and with His people is superior to the old covenant and the fact that the new covenant is about relationship. It's it's about relationship that's based on choice, not by birth. How did you become part of the old covenant that God had with the nation of Israel and the Jewish people? How did you become part of the old covenant? You were simply born Jewish. By virtue of your parents being Jewish, if you were their child, you were Jewish. And if you were Jewish by birth, you were umbrella under the old covenant. It wasn't any choice that you had to make. It was an automatic thing that was given to you by simply being born into this world from a Jewish mother and a Jewish father. The new covenant no longer would be about who your parents are. No longer would would it be about you being birthed into something. The new covenant that God was going to present to His nation and to His people was based on a relationship that you made by your own choice. You chose it for yourself. Your parents didn't choose it for you. Your grandparents didn't choose it for you. Your family and friends didn't choose it for you. A priest or a pastor didn't choose it for you. A church or a denomination didn't choose it for you. You chose it yourself. You chose to enter into the new covenant There was a second reason why the new covenant would be superior to the old covenant. In the new covenant, you would know God inwardly and personally. His laws would not be written on a tablet of stone. His laws would be written where? In your heart. You would know God. He would know you. 
It would be a relationship. He chose to love you. You chose to love Him. And in doing that, you will know about Him because He will live inside of you and reveal Himself to you from the inside out. You see, in the Old Covenant, in the Old Covenant, everything was outward. Everything was collective. There was nothing inward. There was nothing personal about it. The New Covenant would be about grace, not about law. It would be about relationship, not about religion. It would be about love, not about labor. It would be about having direct access to God and not having to go through some mediator or or some connector or some surrogate. That's the new covenant. In the old covenant, the laws of God were written on a stone and you read them. And somebody had to teach them to you. In the New Covenant, they'll be written on your heart and the Spirit of God Himself will tell you. The third thing about this New Covenant that Jeremiah speaks to the people of Israel about is this. The New Covenant will be a whosoever will covenant. The Old Covenant was between... God and the nation of Israel, between God and the Jewish people. If you were not a Jew, if you were not a citizen of the nation of Israel, the old covenant had nothing to do with you. It was Jews only. It was highly segregated. But when God brings forth the new covenant, there will be integration. Israel and all the nations of the world will now come together. The Jewish people and the Gentile people will now come together. Whosoever will can be part of the new covenant. Now I know some of you are very smart. I can tell by looking at you. And some of you are saying, Aha! Aha! We got him now. He didn't read his Bible very good. Because it says in verse 31, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the, say it, the house of who? And with the house of? You say, Pastor, I don't see any other country in there. I don't see any other people in there. Gotcha. No, you don't got me. I'm not as dumb as I look. (laughs) Neither are you. Ephesians chapter 2, I want you to turn there. Aren't you glad I think ahead of you? (laughs) Ephesians chapter 2. An apostle's going to come along. The prophets were to Israel, the apostles are to the church. And both were messengers of God. And the Apostle Paul comes along in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 20. And I want you to read it. I don't usually like to read this much Scripture, but I want to read it to you and I want you to follow with your eyes. Because what he's doing, in essence, is talking about the new covenant. 
And he's talking about how it is going to be a whosoever will covenant and how God is going to do it. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning with verse 11, follow as I read. Wherefore, remember that you being in times past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcised by, that, by them which is called the circumcision in the flesh, made by hands, that at that time you were without Christ. You are aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, stranger from the covenants of promise. You had no hope and you were without God in this world. He's talking to you and I, by the way. We're Gentiles. And he's talking to all the nations of the world that were not Jewish. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were sometimes far off are made near by the blood of Christ. He is our peace who, has, who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments, continued in ordinances for, to make in himself of two people of one new man, so making peace, that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you which were afar off and to them that were near. For through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father, now, therefore, you are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. The apostles were who? The church. The prophets were Israel. And Jesus Christ ties them together, and he becomes the chief cornerstone. Wow. I know that's wordy, and I know it might be confusing to some of you, but I'm telling you, that's loaded. What Paul is talking about, that what Jeremiah said was going to happen, he describes how it's going to happen. The Gentiles who were once separated from God, they were excluded from the promises of God. They were exempt from the old covenant. They were outside what God had promised He was going to do. They were without hope. They were without God. That's you and I. That's you and I. We weren't included in the Old Covenant. We were strangers. We were aliens. We had no hope. We had no God. But then God in His grace and mercy said, I'm going to create one people. I'm going to take my Jewish people and I'm going to graft them to the Gentiles. I'm going to make a hybrid of Jewish and Gentile believers who will be called Christians. And they will come together because they want to come together. And they will come together in that choice under the umbrella of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they will be brothers and sisters in the faith. Wow. I like that. So now there's no longer Jew. There's no longer Gentile. There's Christians. There's no longer those that are in the law and those who are outside the law. There's no longer those that are part of the old covenant. Those who are not. We're all part of the new covenant. 
because we said yes to Jesus and we were grafted together to become one in Him. And lastly, this new covenant has the power to do something that the old covenant never could do. The new covenant that Jeremiah tells Israel and the people of Israel that they're going to receive will permanently forgive sin. Permanently forgive sin. You see, the old covenant could never permanently forgive sin. The old covenant was about sacrificing animals. Shedding the blood of an animal on the altar. And the shedding of that animal's blood was a temporary atonement for the sins of man. But an animal's blood never could permanently atone for our sins. In order for our sins to be atoned for, a person had to die for us. A person that was pure and perfect. A person who had no sin of his own. A person who could willfully take our sin and place it on his own sinless account and pay for our sin where we don't have to pay for it. There was no person who could do that because none of us are perfect. A sinner cannot shed his blood for another sinner. So God in His infinite wisdom sent Jesus into this world. Jesus was God in a human being. He was born pure. He was born perfect. He had no flaws. He had no faults. And because He had none of that, when He went to the cross, He could take all of our sins and put it on His account. And He could suffer it and bleed and die in our place. And he could rightly do that and legally do that according to the law of God. The old covenant was about temporary atonement for sin, but the new covenant was about permanent atonement for sin. When Jesus was on the cross, what did he say? It is finished. It's over. No more sacrifice will ever be needed. Perfect grace has been completed. You say, Pastor, are you saying that in the Old Covenant they were really never forgiven? Technically. Kind of like, let me explain it to you like this. Suppose you go out to eat tonight after this service and you go to Perkins. And you order you a Big 12. Okay? You get those eggs and that bacon and that sausage and the hash browns and the pancakes and the toast and whatever else they throw in there. I mean, you just get a feast, and you eat, and you eat, and you eat. And you see several people in there, and you jo- ask them to join you, and they come and join you, and they eat, and eat, and eat, and at the end, they bring you the bill. <laughs> and you're going to be the big spender from the East tonight. So you reach in your wallet, and you pull out your credit card. And you pay for everybody's meal on that credit card. Now, let me ask you a question. Did you pay for that meal? Well, technically you did. Because they're not going to throw you in jail or put you back there washing dishes. But really you didn't pay for the meal 
until you get the statement in the mail. And when you get the statement in the mail, and you make, make a payment on that statement, then you've paid for the meal, right? Well, in the old covenant, you were putting on a credit card the payment for your sins. And I'm telling you, the bill was sky high. And Jesus came. And Jesus paid that bill in full on the cross. He paid the statement that was due by you and me that we could be forgiven and our sins could be washed away as far as east is from west and never remembered again. I'm glad Jeremiah got a chance to preach something encouraging. Isn't that encouraging that we're now under the new covenant? You say, Pastor, I'm not. Well, it's because you don't choose to be. Whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whosoever comes will never be turned away. If you're a Jew, you will be accepted. If you're a Gentile, you'll be accepted. All you have to do is say yes to Jesus. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed.